This is chapter 26, and I'll read three verses, verse 1, 2, and 3. So I'll wait for you a moment, and if you have the verse, nod to your screen. Okay, you've got it. Thank you. Here it is. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. This is Isaac's famine. And because of that, Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gahar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Don't go down unto Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall show thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed. So in the present and in the future. Do it again, verse 3. Stay, sojourn, occupy this land. I'm with you in this land. I'll bless you in this land. And not just in the present, but in the future. I will give you all these countries. I will perform the oath which I, which I swear unto Abraham, thy father. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer. So hold your Bibles there and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this moment. We pray that you would open up the word to our lives. I'm asking you today that you would guide us in the word and in the scripture and do what only you can do in our lives. I thank you for the prayers for our country and our nation, our state and the city. Would you protect all of the people of this house? We pray for this church, Lord. Let it thrive and grow. And let the goodness of the Lord be broadcast throughout all our area. In Jesus' name, amen. Say in Jesus' name with me. Come on, say that again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. In light of our mourning and indeed our lives, I am compelled to relay to you a foregone conclusion Perhaps what is assumed truth, a fact, because there is little doubt that anyone would confuse these definitions, a well and a river. They are similar in substance, but they are far different in design. I grew up drinking well water. My grandfather, he dug a well in between our homes, his house and, and the house that my dad built. And then together they connected the two houses with the water from that well. And there was a spigot outside of his home in the hot summer days in Missouri. We would take a break from mowing the grass or cleaning and we would drink right from that nozzle. When we were growing up, uh, we had well water. It was very clean and crisp, and we had uh, gardens and vegetables. We would um, plant our own garden, and, and my grandfather had some chickens, and he would always uh, slaughter a cow, and we had, we had meat. That, in those days, we called it poor. Today, we call it organic. Um, uh, when you were when you were rich in those days, you went to the grocery store and you just you bought whatever they had. In those days, you you grew your own food and you drank water from a well. A well is not a river. A river is distinctly different. 
A river flows from some undetermined source and it collides with streams from mountaintops and perhaps springs. A river is a gift from God. It's a gift for all those who are blessed to be able to live near it. And many people love to camp or live next to a river. It is a host for life, for living, for things, for food and fish and travel and so much more. Commerce is made on a river. A river is ultimately that connector between some other greater part of water, some greater body of water, of oceans or seas. It cuts through the landmass, but a well is not a river. A well is not from above, as are the hovering clouds which perch themselves atop the parched, anxious earth. Rain falls and it fills that void left by the scorching sun. It feeds the flowers. The river, with all of its tributaries, feed the land. They quench the thirst of the land. These rain from above, waters from above. They are apparent and they are precious. From above, the water, the rain. It's an undeserved and undetermined gift. Rain is a heavenly reward. It falls of its own accord and few can know when it comes or for how long. Sometimes people predict the rain. They predict rainfall and it doesn't come. Some do not predict rain and it falls anyway. No one really knows it's going to come of its own accord. But a well is not from above. A well is from beneath. A well speaks of perseverance. It exists of desire. It's dug out by desperation and design. No one stumbles upon digging a well. It's intentional. A well is by the human hand. It is produced by effort, and in almost every case, it is created out of sheer need. If a person has a well in their life, it tells a story all its own. Not everyone can relate to well-type people, because I'm, I'm standing here to, to say that I know what that means, to have a well. I do pray that everyone becomes well people because I know that we're living in a moment of time when we must dig deeper than before in fact in this moment to stay connected with God with worship with prayer and praise if we know and we are to know the words of Jesus it's going to take some digging some intentional work to the Lord you and I all of us are in a moment of time if we're going to feed our souls with the river of life, it's going to come by our own will. If we're going to feed our life with waters that come from God, spiritual things, the things we need, it's going to take an intentional effort. Because what we need today, most of all, we need God. And it comes through desperation and desire. You won't stumble upon spirituality. You're not going to just walk into a prayer time. You're going to have to find some time to pray. I'm talking about a well of water that comes from beneath. It comes from individual effort and desire. It comes from a desire to find Jesus and to feel his presence. And if you'll search for him, he is easy to find. He is available to find. In fact, the Bible says he's not far from any one of us. I understand the awkwardness of it all. When a person lives next to a river... Wells seem to have little value. Why dig? There may be a well...
impossible well, water a few feet down, but the river, that free-flowing water, it blocks the need to dig. Why would you do it? You see, a well is of little value if it exists next to a river. A person might never think to dig if they live next to the water's edge or in a climate where there's a lot of rain. They might never think to begin the process of seeking and searching when the water flows so easily in their lives. The deep well might even seem unnecessary in a rain-filled plain or other watery places where there are lakes and streams. But enter a place, an era, a time where the air is dry and the skies are clear and empty and the well takes on a whole new meaning. The power and worth of a well is found in the desert place when it's dry and it's lonely and you are inept and you don't know where to go. It's treasured when the rivers dry up or a drought weighs heavy on the land. Wells find their most profound worth and moments in times of famine and they are birthed by determined people to live in spite of conditions that surround them. I'm not talking about a philosophical approach. I'm not presenting today a motivational thought to think yourself good or to think yourself healthy, but I'm preaching today about a way of life. You've got to have a water. You've got to have time with God. You see, a river is wonderful, but river or not, rain or no, a well can nourish every family just the same. Regardless of the barren sky, a well can produce the same crop, the same harvest that the rain can produce, and it can save a city, it can save your life. Even in the driest conditions, there's something that's powerful and it rises from the deep. A well can make your life look like you're living under the rain showers of heaven, even though you know the season has not changed. Sometimes life is good and rain falls. I love that. Sometimes you find yourself planted next to flowing rivers. It's wonderful streams that are, are endless. Sometimes you find yourself privileged just to be in the right location at the right time. But a well is by human design. And again I say that it is born out of need and desire. It must be sought for, searched after, carefully executed, and yes, dug out with your own hands. This well that I speak of is brought about by intention and work and digging and sacrifices and time. It doesn't come from above. It doesn't come from the skies. It comes from beneath. It doesn't come from the blessings of the trickling mountain streams, but it comes from an intentional plan of effort and passion and pathos and love. My concern is that we have gotten very used to the rain and we have an affinity to the river, but God might just be showing us today it's time for all of us to start digging in the book, praying in the spirit, and praising in the moment. I'm telling you to praise wherever you are. Praise in your moment. In fact, why don't you just take a moment right now and thank the Lord for this season. Say, I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. If the skies are empty, I know that you are God. And if, my, if, if everything is dried up, I know you are God. That is digging down in a well. You can have the same spiritual experience in the Lord wherever you are right now. You got to dig. The river's not here. The rain's not here but there's water wherever you are. Say it to the Lord. You're worthy of my praise. You're building something right now. You're worthy of my praise. Thank you, Jesus. I'm clapping my hands unto the Lord.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sometimes we think uh, that the desert place is a judgment against us. What do we do wrong? I don't feel it. I'm, I'm not there. I, I don't have that, that, that emotional thing that's happening. Used to happen. Perhaps we think that the dryness is abnormal or it's a sign of God's wrath or something that is going to rise. We're rushing out to find out what did we do that was wrong. But consider the scripture. Isaac was living in a famine all his own. The scripture that I read to you today, Genesis 26, clearly states that there was a famine in the land and it was not the famine of his father Abraham. It was Isaac's own hard time. That's how good God is. He'll send you a dry time you can call your own. Abraham's famine had come and it gone. He weathered through it. And it seems to me that God allows everyone their own personalized dry time. Rain all the time, flowing rivers, convenience. They don't always declare the love you have for your God. Our moments of worship and gathering, they should be appreciated and valued. When you walk back into this house, you should come with thanksgiving and praise because you know it's a privilege to be here. But it's not until those waters are inhibited do we realize what they really mean. We ought to thank God every time we can get together and worship and praise and never ever take it lightly. There are many nations around the world that for centuries of time have dealt with so many things far worse than we're dealing with today. It's good to gather. Maybe it gives new meaning how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together. That's wonderful rivers. That's rain without intention. That's waters that flow from above. That's an emotion of feel-good movement that spills over in the congregation. But it has a barrier to it. Unlike the well, the well has no such barrier. Look now, it's Isaac's turn. This famine had Isaac's name written all over it. It was personalized for him. It was, and I quote, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And when Isaac's famine hit, the first thing that went through his mind was finding a place where there was no famine. Gahar. It's logical. It's reasonable. It was understandable. My family is hungry. My sheep are thirsty. My oxen, I've got to do something. I'm going to die here. But God said to Isaac, stay in this land. Moving to a place like Egypt was the worst thing Isaac could have ever done. It was a wicked land. And though it had some conveniences, it also had spiritual darkness. And it wasn't just a side effect. It had he moved there, it would have been a generational malady. God knew that Isaac and his family would have been corrupted by the construct and the traditions and the practices found in Egypt. God knew that Egypt had its own allure. Sure, Egypt had things that they needed. Egypt had no problem with the things that he was dealing with in what would become Israel. But a dry place with God is always greater 
than a land without him. And in the minds of the people who serve God, there is this lingering questions. Some have even said this, I was doing good until I start coming to church. As if serving the Lord caused all of your problems. The enemy, hear me, will always push back on your commitment. In fact, I believe that the greater your commitment, the more your opposition. But when you get into the house of God, with the difference between here and there is because when you're worshiping God and you're committed to the Lord, you have a refuge and a name and a hope that you did not have in this world. See, the enemy of your life would rather you just give up, do nothing, live in the dry deadness of sin, or even cower in fear or drink from the poison waters of self-fulfillment and worldly endeavors and pleasures, all of which will spoil your life. I urge you today, don't measure obedience to God and the world's version of prosperity. David said, my heart almost fainted when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It wasn't until I saw their end that I realized the futility of their meaningless temporal gain. Read it in your Bible. See, Isaac is on his way to Egypt because the land of promise is dry and parched. His promises look so empty now because the land looks so bare. Isaac is about to stumble on his own pragmatic flesh. He's about to trip on his logical journey. His bags are packed. He's pulling up his stakes. His analytical mind is pressing him toward a life in a place where the things of God are vacant and bare. And suddenly God comes to call and God says, Isaac, do not go down to Egypt no matter what it looks like. Isaac should have known the story. Maybe he forgot, perhaps... He displaced it. Naomi's husband is going to move his sons. There's a lot of issues. He should have known. There's a lot of things prior. Naomi's husband's moved his sons to Moab when there was a famine in the land. It cost him. He died outside the promise. Isaac is about to do the same thing because he is blind to the spiritual effects of Egypt's financial offers. As if God cannot bless him where he is. And that's what happens for people. When we get in a famine or a dry place, we wonder, where is God? We're looking up instead of looking down. But these are the failing steps of a man who does not consider the source of his strength. What do you do when you feel nothing? When you've lost that loving feeling, lost that emotional satisfaction, haven't felt the blessing of the Lord. It's not like the old times. Something just isn't moving you. What do you do? I must confess that I like to be around people who are like rivers of living water. The Lord is moving in their life. The Spirit of God is there. They are experiencing the blessings in their life. It's a spillover. I like to camp outside of their watery banks because they have the joy of the Lord. They have faith and power and, and stories and testimonies and they tell of it all. What a place to be. I also love the times when God sends me an unexpected blessing from above, like showers on my life. They are a mystery in every way. I did not earn them. I did not predict them. They just came. His reign of love and strength and joy cannot be produced by my own hands because his gifts are from above. I cannot earn them. They are not contrived. There is no merit in me that brought them about. There is nothing like the rain. 
I relish the days and nights when God gives me a fresh word in the scripture or sends a new anointing or a new revelation in my life. I love it when he sends me an answer to a question I have yet to ask. Wow, what a great God. Because rain is refreshing, refreshing and the river is replenishing. Nobody ever refuses the river. No one rejects the rain. Both bring life and both are a wonder. No one despises the free-flowing water and we relish the blessings in our lives and the lives of others and no one shuns the gifts from God. But what do you do when there is no flowing water on the surface and no rain from above? Isaac said, I'm going to go down to Egypt. I'm going to start over there. It's just temporary. That's the devil's plan. And God said, stay where you are. You see, God has a blessing for Isaac. But this blessing is going to take a well from his own hands. Isaac is going to have to be pressed to dig down. His blessings are going to come from his own seeking and his own searching. And God, the Bible says, blessed Isaac. Here's verse 12 of that same chapter. He blessed him 100-fold. I'll read it to you. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him a hundred times greater. If you skip down to verse 25, the Bible says... He built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. If you read the scripture, you might stumble on the text. They look out of order. It seems the words of verse 25 should be in verse 12, and verse 12 should be in verse 25. But let me say that there's nothing wrong with the composition. The reader might be missing the placement of the blessing like so many of us do. Genesis 26 and verse 12 is not out of order. It's just a summary of what happened after verse 25. Verse 12 happened because of verse 25. See, verse 12 is a forecasting of what was going to happen in verse 25. If you write a summary at the end of a book, it's called a synopsis. But if you get a hint, give a hint, or you look at the text in the beginning, it's called a prologue. Um, there's a lady, her name is Margie McAllister. She's a prolific writer and teacher, and she states that sometimes there has to be a hook, a hook to draw the reader into the rest of the story. She called it the draw card. That's when there's a perilous moment in the story, a tragedy about to unfold. Everybody knows it. But the reader needs to know that there is hope if you hold on and keep reading. She says that the reader needs hope ahead of time and that there is more to the story than the present peril. That's verse 12. It's hope for the future. It's a hundredfold blessing in the life of Isaac. But verse 25 tells us how he got that hundredfold blessing. Think of it now. Isaac is in a famine. He's on the verge of making the biggest mistake of his life, of up rooting his entire family, destroying everything that his father Abraham built up. Isaac is about to displace hundreds of people, perhaps even more, his sons and daughters, his servants and their families. He has the burden of his father's house resting heavy on his shoulder, and it looks for a second like the reasonable thing to do, but God says... Stay where you are. I'll bless you. I will, I will give everything that you need. I will be your source. God did not want Isaac to make that journey, even though Egypt had some temporary, howbeit carnal, resources. Think of this. Egypt might have been a reprieve 
But God's place was part of the covenant. Egypt might have held less stress, but the land was where God dwelt. Egypt might have had provisions, but the property in which he stood held the promise. Verse 12 says that Isaac planted crops in the land where he was, and the same year there was a 100-fold blessing. It's a prologue. It's the back of the book synopsis featured at the start. It's hope with some work to follow. There's nothing wrong, ladies and gentlemen, with the composition of the story. God is going to bring you out and bring us out into a great harvest. Our city is about to experience a great harvest. It's greater than we can possibly imagine. It's going to take our effort, but after our digging and after our personal walk with God, we're going to walk back into the sanctuary saying, I've dug deep. I've got a well now. I'm never going down a source. I'm not just relying upon the things I cannot predict, but with my own hands and my own prayer and my own worship. Isaac had to dig wells to water his land. He had to dig wells in hard ground. He even had to redig or uncover the wells that his father had once dug, but the enemies had covered them up. He had to battle the enemy who kept filling in that well. He had to rename them and replot them and redig them and guard them. Verse 12, uh, verse 25 rather, is the reason for verse 12. Joy, rejoicing, unspeakable blessings. They are coming when you dig your well. I, I get it. I, I know where we are. We've always been used to the rain. And we've always loved the free-flowing river. But right now, it's time for us to dig a well and open our Bibles and begin to read and have some prayer times in our living rooms and our tables. Hear pastor today. New wells talk of time. And covered wells talk of what the enemy has done. But I got a verse for you. It's Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Behold, God, say it personally, is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. Say that again. I will not be afraid. Say it again. I will not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength. He's my song. And he's also become my salvation. Here's verse 3. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the well of salvation I'm here today to say there's strength in that well there's power in that well joy comes from that well hope comes from that water it's from beneath it's from beneath it's from commitment and consecration there's a blessing when we praise God regardless of where you are today or where you're watching this today there's a blessing when you praise God I say right now, praise him in the living room. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the kitchen. Praise him when you're sitting on the couch. Praise him in the car. I grew up in a a different time. We had had songs. I don't know who, who wrote the songs. Not all the songs made sense. In fact, today we would not sing the songs because technology has changed. The meaning of the songs. There used to be a song called the Royal Telephone. And there was a line in that song, I believe it said, Central is never busy. No one one has any idea what that means, central. That means you call in and someone is plugging in the line for you. And a lot of times in those days, the, 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 the phone lines were busy. They couldn't plug you in. That was central. Well, there is no central. And there is no telephone. Cell phone, we have to say, 
the smartphone, Verizon is never busy. It doesn't make any sense today. And we used to sing a song. It says that he's God on the platform. He's God back at the door. He's God in the amen corner. God all over the floor. That song put God in the building. He's nowhere else. He's on the platform. He's over there. He's in the prayer room. He's on the floor here. That's it. God is in the building. He put him in the prayer room. Put him in the door. Put him in the foyer. He's here. But I'm telling you that God is not just here. He's in your house. He's in your garage. He's in your living room. He's in your den. He's at your work. He's in your car. He's in your truck. Wherever you call on him, that's where he is. He's God in your lonely times. He's God in your midnight hour. He's God when you're walking through the halls. He's God when you lay down in your bed. He's God when you rise up. He's God in your hospital room. He's God in the nursing home. He's God in the street corner. He's God all over the place. All you have to do is search for him and dig for him. Come on, clap your hands wherever you are. Yes, yes, I worship you, Lord. I give you praise, Lord, because I know there's strength from the well. I know there's strength from the well. There's water from the well. Uh, God is wherever you seek for him. God is wherever you call on him. When you speak his name. And when you don't feel that emotional tug. And there's no one around. And it may not be today, but it might be a month from now. It might be in a dark place of your life when you feel like the heavens are brass. And all your prayers can't reach beyond the ceiling where you're standing. Then dig down, get in the word, open up your home to prayer, turn, on all, turn off all the media devices and seek the Lord, turn off the televisions and computers, the internet. When you're done with this, this moment, take time and praise God. It'll be a little awkward at first. Stand around your table. It'll be a little awkward because, see, you got to pull out some rocks and some stones. There's a hard surface. It'll be a little strange. Walk around the living room just in a circle and just say, I thank you, Lord. I give you praise. Use all the words you can about how good God is. It'll be a little strange. You're digging up stones. But as you start praising and praying and reading, you're going to find fresh power, strength from your well. There's strength. Jesus is on his way and he pauses and the Bible says he must needs pass through Samaria. He sends his disciples away. He goes to what we know as Jacob's well. Even the Samaritan woman said, Jacob dug this well. Think of this now. Jesus sits down to talk to her. He's sitting on the side of that well the well is sitting at a well and the well says to her if you'd ask of me she says the Jews say we can worship in Jerusalem we say in this mountain they say in that mountain well, you know which one which location is the right place Jesus says I'm the location 
Well, well what about the temple there? You know, we, we're not allowed. We're Samaritans. We can't go there. So we've set up our own place of worship here. And Jesus said, if you'll just ask me, I'll give you water of, uh, water of living waters. I'll give you a drink of living waters. You'll never thirst again. I'm the well. When you seek for Jesus, you're digging for a well of water that never goes dry. Whether you're with a hundred people or five people or ten people or 250 people or less, whatever it is. When you seek the Lord, He'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. You see, He's pointing to Himself. He called Himself many things. He called Himself the Great Shepherd. He called Himself the Door. He said He's the I Am that I Am. But think of this, John 4. He called Himself the Well. And the only way to get to a well is to seek for it. We have to seek for it. I say today, there's great strength from those waters. And now today we're exercising that. And all week long we're exercising this. Prayer and praise, devotion, opening up our Bibles, speaking about the goodness of God, seeking Him when we ride in our cars, praying for Him to come into our lives in whatever moment or whatever season we're in. See, this word, this is not just for today. It's for every day of your life. Wherever you are, I just want you to close your eyes and raise your hand with me. And we're going to sing our way out of this moment. And then I'm going to encourage you to worship the Lord in in your own place, wherever you are. I want you to worship God, praise God, and seek for a well, a well that will never run dry because the source is Jesus Christ himself.